Welcome back to the 57th episode of The Cult Podcast. That's crazy. Still Good to be here. Hate that name. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Today we have Gabe with us. Fan favorite. <laughs> Bag by popular demand. I thought you were going to say bagpiped. There's so much in my head right now. I've watched more movies in the last week than I have probably in the last couple months. Good. It's good for you. It's good for your soul. Because my, my computer... I shouldn't say this. You're going to be mad at me. I watch most of these movies on my my phone. <laughs> you watched <laughs> yeah. Justice League on your phone? I shouldn't have said that. This is a mistake. Oh, my gosh. Four hours. <laughs> Jesus. Um, There's something wrong with you. Yeah. It wasn't the... Uh, David Lynch would have cried. <laughs> he probably oh, would have cried anyway. Most filmmakers would have cried. Yeah. What movie are we doing today? Continuing our Oscar nomination countdown yeah we're in the thick of it now we know the nominations for the best picture academy award mr movie on your phone watcher um yeah last week we both watched judas and the black messiah which was on hbo go for a short time or hbo max i think it's called now yeah and it's gone now so you can't watch it so sorry listeners you can pay for it but still on oh Amazon, yeah you can probably. pay for it you can watch it streaming on demand for or you can download it if you know what you're doing Yes, HBO Max might get it back soon, but they dropped it for Justice League because they're doing their like monthly rotations or something. Yep. Uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, which will be another podcast probably. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that one. There's a lot to talk about there. But yeah, this is the first movie podcast we've done since last year's awards circuit stuff where we know this is a nominee for Best Picture this year. Yeah, true. So we're going to be throwing it back a bit to the old ways, as Darkseid would say, uh, <laughs> in terms of the structure of this podcast. So we've got some some stuff on Judas and the Black Messiah, some info, some quick facts for people who are into that. Some people don't care. Facts. Do you, you want to go? Do you have anything? Um, I know that it was directed by Shaka King. Shaka King. Yeah, not a first timer. I think this was his second feature, but this is the first time he's done a movie like this uh, in terms of mainstream, I would call it probably. Mainstream. His other his, his other stuff that he's done. So I'm not sure how he got the Judas and the Black Messiah gig, Mr. Shaka King, but he killed it. Super good movie. He nailed it. We like this movie a lot. I thought that this movie was very special. Yeah. I didn't think there would be a movie to replace the devil all the time for me. And I think this movie, I don't know if it replaced it, but it was very, very good. I enjoyed most of it. Oh, because this technically would be a 2020 release, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard for me to say. I also really liked the devil all the time, but there's something because this is a true story with probably little embellishment. Yeah. Uh, this movie does hit differently <laughs> than the devil all the time, which is I think entirely fiction. Yeah. Directed by Shaka King, the budget was a modest $26 million, as per Google accounts. <laughs> it was written by a group of people, have credits listed, Kenneth and Keith Lucas, a couple of brothers, as well as a Will Burson, who's done some TV script writing in the past. There was a bunch of producers involved, namely Ryan Coogler. Yeah. Who's... Of Black Panther and yeah. Creed fame. Can't really say enough about him and the influence he's had in the industry. Uh, the DP... Or the cinematographer for the film was Sean Bobbitt, who's had a rich and storied career, including working with Steve McQueen on a lot of his pictures. Mm. He also did 
one of my favorite movies, Place Beyond the Pines, which oh yeah, you could sort of oh he shot that movie yeah oh crazy which that makes you a lot of kind of see like a decade ago his style of like very intimate but cinematic yeah and a lot of interiors he he shoots this film in a very interesting way it's very exciting but I don't know how would you describe it well done yeah it was really good <laughs> scored by Craig Harris and Mark Isham and there's also a lot of songs used for the film, yeah, the soundtrack. Uh, I think the in credits, there was a track from her, which I think you said just won a Grammy or yeah, something. Yeah, she won Song of the Year. I hope I'm not misremembering Which that. played on the last, if you go to our last podcast and listen to the song at the end, that's that artist, her. And then also because this is technically a period piece film, I also wanted to shout out production design and art design. Yeah. Uh, production design by Sam Lisenko and the art designer or the art director as well, Jeremy Woolsey. Both those guys have done a lot of stuff. Who were the brothers that did Uncut Gems? Safety Boys. Safety Brothers. Sam Lisenko works a lot with them. So oh, okay. These guys are really good at creating the world. Like a tone? Yeah, like a tone. <laughs> production design isn't usually one of the big awards in terms of like you know, direction and cinematography, but it's it's just as important, if not more, than creating a world. I think production design, apart from non-blockbuster films that are all shot on like blue and green screen, it's night and day when you see an actor inside a space with good production design versus that same actor inside a space uh, with bad production design. It honestly, I think, is the thing that separates the professionals from the amateurs. Yeah. Yeah, it's also really important, too, from a storytelling perspective. Yeah. Especially in this film. For instance, the Black Panther office headquarters yeah, for the yeah, Chicago the chapter. Right. It was a huge focal point for the film and the evolution that that building by itself goes through as part of the story. So It's true. It is Chicago, right? Yeah. Uh, and then I guess we could shout out the cast. They're not very important, but uh, yeah. Little, could, that was a joke. It was a bit of a joke. It was headlined, which is funny. We say these are the the main actors because they both got supporting actor nominations but mm. Daniel Kaluuya was Fred Hampton and Lakeith Stanfield was Bill O'Neill was Daniel the one that was in Get Out they were both in Get Out they but, were both in Get Out yeah Daniel was the main guy yeah 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 that's what I meant and Lakeith was the dude from the intro who got captured and then oh, the Daniel trunk. runs into Lakeith like halfway through the film, and after in the Lakeith, straw hat, yeah, he's been brainwashed. Yeah, yeah, and he breaks out, and he's the one who actually says "get out." Mm. His title drop, but they're both great. They've been killing it in the last however long it's been. Daniel Kaluuya, I've seen in a few roles now, and his range is insane. Like, yeah, the types of roles and then his acting performances in each role. He's also he played a villain in Widows, which I think was Steve McQueen a couple years ago. I'm not sure, but. He played uh, this really dark character in, in Widows. That was the first thing I thought of even before Get Out. I don't think very many people saw that movie, but he has got range. And while we're on yes. the top, yeah. <laughs> he plays much more of a character in this film than I would say Lakeith does in terms of like getting into the role. And I've read that, because I haven't heard very much of the original, the IRL, Fred Hampton's speeches. Right. But he really captured the essence of Fred Hampton yeah. in, in both, you know, presence and delivery, the style, the way he enunciates and stuff, the way he articulates himself. Everyone was like, yeah. And then, um, did it. what is it? The FBI agent? Oh yeah. The rest of the supporting cast, Jesse Plemons played Roy Mitchell, who is Bill O'Neill's FBI handler. And then we had classic, uh, 
Yeah, Jesse Plemons. He's been sort of the <laughs> the white. That guy can play an insidious character. Yeah. He blew up with Breaking Bad. Uh, we just saw him last year in I'm Thinking of Any Things. He did that Black Mirror episode where he's Captain Kirk stand-in. He's just an interesting character because he'll sit there and he'll just, you're like, this guy's like psycho. Yeah. <laughs> he's got that look. Uh, also, Dominique Fishback played Deborah Johnson, who was Fred Hampton's, became his wife. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other people. There's a little cameo by Lil Rel Howery, who had that scene where he just walks up and gets Bill O'Neill to like finish the job. Who played Hoover again? Uh, Martin Sheen. Yeah, he was crazy. I was getting big Palpatine vibes from that yeah. performance. That was, yeah. that was funny. There are a bunch of great performances, though, just by the rest of the cast. So uh, let's talk about the premise of the film. A little bit. What is the story here? So this is a true story. Uh, after Malcolm X died, the Black Panther movement party in the late 60s looked to a young man, very young, like maybe 20, 21, named Fred Hampton. And he kind of took on the mantle of leading the Black Panther party, similarly to how Malcolm X was. But it was pretty localized for the Chicago chapter. Yeah, but, but still he was gaining traction yeah so much so that they called him the black messiah this might just be hearsay but the fbi had him on their watch list as early as 14 because he was getting so involved from such a young age in the whole political process even just from things like uh, voter registration that's crazy so this is playing off of the true story of what transpired the film even though it's really about fred hampton is framed through the eyes of bill o'neill who was just a guy essentially that was recruited by the FBI to infiltrate this section of the Black Panthers to be their inside man. And apparently it was like Bill in real life wasn't even the only one. They I think they had many informants which they touch on a little bit in the film. But Bill was just one of many because the Black Panther party was such I mean it, you can't be it can't be understated how much J Edgar Hoover and his cronies were afraid of these guys. They were equating them with communists and mm-hmm. stuff like that, which was the real terror at the time for this, you know, part of America. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. So anyway, so he infiltrates the Black Panther Party to undermine it and sort of take down or help Jesse Plemons' character in the FBI take down Fred Hampton. And that's kind of the story. So the way that it plays out, though, on screen is it's extremely cinematic. It's edited and paced very well. Every character comes across both in nuance and subtlety, as well as kind of the more overt or whatever emotion that they're acting. And that's sort of the most capturing part, I think, about the movie. So not only does it look good and is it paced well, but the emotion behind every character and why they're doing what they're doing is extremely compelling. And it's the same type of thing that I loved about Devil All the Time was not only are you seeing these characters make decisions but you feel the weight of their decisions because you can essentially see their emotion kind of written on their faces. So it was very powerfully acted. And the same thing goes for this movie. It's super good acting. I didn't know, I mean, to be honest, I didn't know anything about Fred Hampton before this movie. And then I watched this and then The Trial of the Chicago 7, which also has Fred Hampton in it. So I have learned a lot since then. So that's kind of my feelings about the movie. I just thought it was visually stunning it was super engaging you care about the characters i mean i think the weight of it too is you know that it's a true story going into it so i think it says that when the movie starts yeah and so um you care and you understand the story and plot it's not like rocket science 
if you know the story of Jesus and Judas from the Bible, you sort of can see the writing on the wall and what's about to transpire. Those parallels were really fascinating to me. Super I mean, it, obviously everything was intentional, but just watching even the last scene, which was sort of the Last Supper, you know, analog in the film, yes, where Bill O'Neill asks yeah. Fred Hampton yeah. if he needs another drink, and then yeah. he gives him the dose. You're like, holy. And he's, you, like, Bill O'Neill's falling apart in this scene, and even though no one else really seems to notice, obviously the, the audience knows exactly what's going down. <laughs> Fred Hampton sort of gives him a look like he kind of thinks, he, like, knows he's going to betray him, which is the same thing that Jesus does to Judas. Like, he gives him that look like, you're going to betray me. And then he kind of starts sweating because of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that same sort of parallel was here. I think obviously that part might have been fabricated. And yeah, I don't think Fred really. Yeah. It seemed like Fred had just come to terms with like trusting him a little bit. Yeah. But also, more specifically, I think finding a reason to live because of right. his child. His child. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love this film as well. The most interesting part to me looking back on it was I mean, the whole point of it is they're trying to humanize these people, which are, you know, even even today with everything going on socially, the Black Panther Party is usually something that people look back on, I think for the most part, as kind of a militant and aggressive group of people when really they're just people fighting. And trying to stand up for themselves. Yeah, fighting for everything that they know and love. Which and, is the same thing that's happening today. Yeah, Exactly. I know that's what you're... The first thing I said to you after I watched it was that like nothing has really changed Changed in the last 50 or 60 years. But specifically the scene that stuck with me was when Fred Hampton goes to console the mother of one of the other younger Black Panther guys that got killed. I think it was the second one. I think his name was Jimmy. And he's just sitting there and he's about to apologize and Jimmy's mom says, no, let's just talk about him for a bit. And she goes on to say, the world will remember this character or this individual as someone who just kind of ended up shooting cops, you know, in the sort of like overtly aggressive, violent act. But the mom was talking about all the memories she had of her son being yeah. this wonderful boy. Yeah. And the fact that they have to tell the story, Fred gets to have that opportunity to speak for the dead in such a way that nothing is ever so simple. And, you know, nothing is ever as black and white as history may paint people to be. So, I don't know, it's just, it's it's really interesting, especially with the Black Panther Party, which, like we said, has gotten a lot of representation in the last five years, which is really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Dig into the lives of these people, even the small individuals like Jimmy, Jimmy Palmer, but I'm pretty sure all these Panthers were actual people um, from this film, and just show their lives in both the good and the the more intense moments where they are pushed to this point by the system, I guess you could say. Because that's an important distinction, is that the circumstances for these people, and this film makes it explicitly clear by how much of a caricature J. Edgar Hoover was, and maybe he was really like that. I haven't done enough research on him specifically, but he's another funny case how he's basically become the villain of the modern generation, when at the time he was a hero. Yeah. But... Funny funny how that works. Yeah, to juxtapose those sorts of stories together is really fascinating to me. And like you said, they did a great job. Everything... All the performances really supported that wonderfully, especially from Daniel and Lakeith. So, so let's ask uh, the question: Do you think it could win Best Picture? Uh, yeah, I think it's a strong contender. Knowing that Minari is there, probably still the fan favorite. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that that's the discussion is really awesome because we have this film about the African American struggle 
uh, versus like the Asian American representation. It's so awesome to I, I agree to be having that discussion. But I'd say I think it's probably going to be between those two in my mind. I can't even remember all of them, but I'm just thinking like promising young woman's probably not going to win. <laughs> Mank. Uh, Mank might win. Yeah. So if I would say this is probably a top half contender. Yeah. Me I don't. Too. I don't think it's going to win. Honestly. Well, well, I mean, knowing how last year worked and how the voting system sort of works out this could oh, yeah, this yeah, yeah. could win that's if true two other movies tie like if minari and mank or nomadland tie this could actually win with that janky runoff system being <laughs> yeah being the number two or three spot you know what i mean that's true that's true and i think this would be a number two or three contender yeah me too um it's that good i'm a sucker for old hollywood so if it were up to me i at this point, I probably would vote for Mink as my number one, and this is my number two. But I have not seen Minari yet, which but I that'll probably take the number one spot. I think it will for me too, on mm. a subjective yeah. level, but probably also objectively as well. Man, I've been wanting to see Minari for like six months. Yeah, I saw the trailer for it so long ago, and I've wanted to watch it ever since. Anyway, how tense was that scene where very the Panthers? Yeah, very. The Panthers were in the crowns building yeah, yeah, yeah and they rolled up in there and there's just like a hundred or 200 dudes in there with rifles yeah and the whole conversation he had with the leader of the gang and i was just it's so funny the amount of tension these historical movies are able because i'm not someone who watches a lot of biopics or historical dramas but the tension they were able to evoke was really cool in this film even up through the end i think we talked a little bit about how uh maybe i was just doing reading after the fact how Fred Hampton was killed. No, the the movie actually ends with photographs and sort of a breakdown of what had happened, how these thugs had just essentially broken in and shot him in his sleep. I, not knowing the story, was really worried that his wife and the whole group was going to get shot, but she actually was able to live. A lot of them did get shot. Yeah. and But his son is actually still active today. Fred, Fred uh, Hampton Jr. is still i think representing the black panther party i'm not totally sure but he's still incredibly socially and politically active i think he actually had some dramas in the uh the blm protests last year if i'm not mistaken and uh shaka king had him on set to make sure a lot of the integrity of the story was preserved and not lost time so that's cool i don't know much about him but i just thought that was cool yeah that he... his son is sort of carrying the the flame so to speak the craziest thing about the outcome is you know that they made a documentary about what happened and how with bill o'neill bill o'neill his be- first be- and only hampton uh interview interview was yeah. they showed footage of that and asked him if he was remorseful and he said he said basically that i kind of had to do what i had to do to survive and you know because of that he doesn't really he's gonna let history tell the story yeah it's such a bizarre interview <laughs> and then when the documentary came out he uh, took his own life later that night, which is crazy. So obviously, he, you know, he must have been feeling semi-remorseful. Yeah, I think even though the interview is bizarre and the words that he said, I think uh, what he did weighed heavy on his soul. And I don't think he was even caught, right? It wasn't until the interview, I think, that his story was fleshed out in its entirety, or according to him, as it were. Right. But, yeah. He got his thirty silver, and uh, oh, that's true. Yeah, he they paid him at the end, and that was that was another parallel to G. Yeah, when Jesse Plemons gives him the final envelope, yeah, and the first thing that falls out is keys to a car, and I thought it was actually like silver yeah, or yeah. some like gold or something, and I was like, holy, 
This is crazy. Yeah. But that's uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. It was good. Really phenomenal little film. Check it out if you uh, want to check it out. Even if you don't, check it out. You'll probably <laughs> like it anyway. It's very eye-opening. Even to sure. not know nothing about it. Like Stephen and I didn't know much about the Black Panther Party in the late 60s. <laughs> nope. But it's edifying and it's gratifying. It's a nice little cinematic experience. So. What's going to be the next one? Well, we got... Trial was on there, right? I have to watch that. The Trial of the Chicago 7. You have to watch Sound of Metal, too. Yeah, you are, too. Probably. Minari. Then we got The Father. I think those are the four that we have left. Yeah. I, I still have no idea what The Father is about. I've, I know it's I Anthony never Hopkins. Watched, I've never watched the trailer. Yep. I don't know anything about the plot or It premise. could be French for all I know. Yeah. It could be... A foreign film. Yeah, Spanish-speaking <laughs> film. Yeah. About a padre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we gotta do Justice League. We'll do that eventually. Yeah.